Um, as we continue to stand, I'm going to bring up uh, one of our elders, as you, many of you know, but for visitors, uh, we are, are led by plurality of elders, which means we're elder-led, and the joys of that um, is that I'm not the only teacher. We have other teachers as well who teach the word, and so it's our honor to have my man, Matthew Rojek, uh, one of our elders, to um, bring the word as we continue our series about Jesus, what is he like, um, really just discovering and, and rediscovering and thinking through the nature of Christ. So I'm going to pray, uh, let's pray together for our brother and our, one of our servant leaders, and let's enjoy the word. Lord Jesus, we exalt you. Thank you that you are a delight, Lord. Thank you that you have given us the grace. Many of us in here whom you've opened our eyes to see your glory, you've given us the grace not to be our own God, not to be fools like we once were, but yet to submit to the only good and loving and merciful and just great King Jesus. And so we pray that you will continue to equip us on what does it mean to serve and exalt you and to enjoy life in Christ. And for those who don't know you, who don't understand the good news, Lord, that the word of God, you would minister deeply to our souls and you would bring forth life. Use Matthew Jesus in your holy name. Amen. Uh, please turn to Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, and in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is God's word. Thanks, God. Oh, go ahead and sit down. Good morning. Um, praise the Lord. Welcome. Uh, to those of you who are members here, it's great to see you. It's great to be part of your family. Uh, Betty and I just absolutely love being here and part of this flock. If you're a visitor here, we welcome you. And uh, if we haven't said hi to you, uh, please forgive us, and if you'd be so kind as to maybe introduce yourself to us, we'd love to welcome you personally with a handshake and maybe a time of prayer. 
Might I encourage in one thing, Pastor Eric brought up the conference we went to, uh, was talking to Alvin, and they're all on YouTube. So if you go to the front or type in search front porch, and I want to encourage you guys, I mean, this was a black-led conference, all about justice. And there were, I don't know, 15 or 20 sessions led by, I mean, there had to have been 30 to 40 different people all talking about issues that we talk about all the time here at MacAv and that we're in the middle of from a black perspective. So frankly, I'd encourage all the white brothers here, non-black brothers here and sisters, go and listen to them. They were incredible, completely different perspective. I mean, it was, it, it was phenomenal. So may I encourage you in that? Um, at MacAv, one thing is, is we're not here to just like put knowledge in your brain and enlarge your hard drive. Because the gospel is about one thing, it's about change. So if there's no change after I've preached, hopefully there's a seed in your heart. But the whole idea of this thing is to be about change. So if there's something I've said that you don't understand, please raise your hand, ask a question. I would ask that it would just be related to the the topic of conversation, if you would, please. One other thing, especially since Pastor Leon's not here, I need some amens, okay? (laughs) Where we were just at, I mean, it rocked. So it's always difficult to be up here because I want to make sure that I'm communicating well to you. I've prayed, I've read the scriptures, talked to Pastor Eric, but the reality is I'd love some high fives in the air, some amens, okay? Uh, as well as, frankly, thank you. I see, <laughs> I see that hand. Um, as well as I'd love some constructive criticism afterwards. If you're going to come up to me and talk to me about the sermon, tell me either why you liked it or why you didn't. I mean, we are not infallible, obviously, as elders and leaders, and if I can correct some thinking and the way I present things, that would be of great benefit to me. So, as uh, again, most of you know at MacAv, we go through entire books of the Bible. We start at chapter 1 and end at the last chapter. We do so so that we get a full understanding where we don't pull texts out of context, thereby creating error. We're doing a little bit different study uh, during Lent, and we're going topical. And the series sermon is really is, what is he like, referring to Christ? So we're going to talk about the parable that we just read about the sheep and goats. And a parable is defined as a simple story that teaches a lesson using an allegory as its theme. Okay, it's just a story that puts a frame on the skin of the conversation we're having so that you and I can visualize in our mind. We know what sheeps look like. We know what goats look like. And then as Jesus defines those categories, it just gives us a framework to have conversation and a good word picture on our minds. By nature, parables are usually much easier to discuss and teach as the main points are relatively easy to detect. Now, I wrote that in my, um, in my sermon, sent it off to Eric. He said, hey, brother, just want to encourage you one thing. Look at Matthew thirteen ten through 15. And I had remembered that, and I just appreciated the pastor bringing that up. The difference in scriptural parables is if you look at Matthew 13, the disciples said to Jesus, well, why did you use parables? It was obvious because the people there weren't understanding. So the disciples said, hey, why are you doing this? And he says, to you, it's been given the secrets of the kingdom, but not to them. 
So if there's any understanding here that I have or that you have, it's because God has awakened our dead hearts. He's broken off the shell, split the veil, given us a soft heart of flesh, and given us opportunity to not rebel, but to be obedient in understanding these things. So I, I wanted to make sure we clarified that. And if you guys don't mind, I, I just I want to pray again. Thanks for your prayer, but I, I just want to go again. <sighs> Lord, you do give sight to the blind. Not only miraculously physically, but miraculously spiritually. You have given many in this room ears to hear. And in fact, you have broken our hearts as we've understood that the sin that nailed you to the cross was our choice. So Lord, thank you for opening up the scriptures to us. Holy Spirit, come, invade our hearts, invade our minds. Use the words of the gospel and my imperfect speech, Father God, to bring glory to your Son and understanding, Father God, that will bring change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I also want to encourage you guys that the context of which we're looking at the parables goes back to Matthew 24, 3, and the disciples say, hey, what's it going to look like when you come back? So for the next couple of chapters, Jesus goes ahead and gives just some informative, uh, gives some information. And he says, hey, first of all, you've got to beware of uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. You've got to beware of false messiahs. There's going to be persecution. And Jesus says, I can tell you, no one knows the time or the day of that second coming. And then he goes on and he gives some parables. And today we're discussing the parable of the sheep and the lamb. Now we're going to give you, there's kind of three probably main names that I'd like to bring out about what is he like. We're going to just start with some general information. Jesus starts off here and he says, the son of man. And what does that tell us? Right off the bat... It tells us of his humility and his desire to be a servant. You know, when we were at this conference, Eric introduced us to the kings who put this thing on. I mean, the main speakers, the Beatty. And I'll tell you what, you know, when he said, yeah, this is Elder Rojek, you know, man, shoulders went back and I'm like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) What does Jesus say? He doesn't say he's the son of God. He doesn't say, I'm the king. He says, I'm the son of man. And he does so because he's modeling humility for you and I. Man, you talk about being able to brag. He's got bragging rights. But he doesn't. He chooses to show you and I in humility that he's a servant. It's about his favorite expression of himself as you read through the Gospels. And that's why. Second thing is um, his relationship to humanity is spoken of here in Hebrews 2, 17 through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the Christ that we're looking at here. This is what we know about him. That he cloaked himself in frail humanity, relinquishing 
a portion of his Godheadedness. And then you go to verse 34, and it says, And the king will answer him. I mean, pretty big transition here. And I'd like you guys to kind of think about this. Jesus is in heaven. The father says, hey, it's time. So Jesus and the angels come down to earth. He sits down, and somebody hands him his scepter, his judge's gavel. And those who mistakenly have seen him as the big guy upstairs, the ever-tolerant one whose description is that of love, but a perverted love because that love does not include chastisement or correction. It's a, hey, go ahead, do whatever you want to do. Those people, when he comes as judge and king and ruler, are going to shudder when they see this king because time has run out. And that's what this parable is discussing in some measure. So again, we're going to talk about three different titles that I see attributed to Christ here. One is the judge, and a judge is an official appointed to decide cases in court. John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. So let's have a little comparison and talk about this. Let's say that a couple of people are going to go before an earthly judge, okay, in Detroit. And uh, they walk up, and let's say there's not a lot of evidence, so it's all going to be kind of verbal testimony. One person walks up, and they're dressed sharp, clean haircut, articulate speech, a command of the English language. They just look good. And the other person comes walking up, and they're kind of disheveled. Their hair's out of mess, and they're not even like looking at the judge in the eye, and real awkward and uncomfortable. Maybe even let's say the first guy is white, second guy is non-white. I don't care how impartial the judge is. He can only, in some measure, guess who is guilty or not guilty. Does that make sense? He's an impartial judge. Christ has been given the command and the opportunity, and the declaration to be the judge by the Father. And think about it. How often in the scriptures, in Matthew 9, 4, uh, 12, 25, Mark 12, 13, there's this little preference, and it says, knowing their thoughts, knowing the intents of their heart. Jesus doesn't care if I got a degree. He doesn't care what my name is. He doesn't care my social status. Look who he honored the gal with the two mites, the one guy who said, I'm, you know, he's, the one guy says, man, I'm not like this other sinner. And he's boasting before God. And the other guy can't even look up to heaven. And he says, man, I'm your humble servant. Forgive me. Jesus honors that because it cuts right to the chase of everything. And that's the thoughts and intents of our heart. I'll guarantee you, I have done things solely for the purpose of being seen or applauded or patted on the back. And man, I'm ashamed to say that, but the reality is God's looking at my heart and he says, man, did you miss that one, brother? You had an opportunity to work righteously both in deed and in content and you blew it. I want to make sure you guys understand one thing. The reason that we go chapter 1 to chapter 27, Genesis to Revelations, 
that we take the whole counsel of Scripture is so that we don't look at this Scripture and say, hey, I do these four things, take care of the poor, the naked, uh, those in prison, those are hungry. If we don't do those four things, hey, baby, I'm in. This is not a works-based parable. We know our salvation comes from one and one alone, the king who gave a ransom for us. It's not about works. I want to make sure that's very clear to everybody here. The point here is he's very capable, he's worthy, and he's been appointed by the Father as judge. Now the next one, I, sorry, I just don't want to spend a lot of time on here because the last one's where I really want to go. But we see, we want to know, uh, what is he like? He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder here. Doesn't look like it to the sheep or to the goats, but he is rewarding them for their choice in life. 1 Corinthians 3.14 talks about our works on this earth If they're built on the righteous foundation, those works might stand the test of time. But there's some works that are going to be burned up. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking him? Is that your daily desire? The Lord's going to reward you. Matthew 6, 4, 6, and 18 talk about a couple of things. They talk about not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, not being arrogant. It talks about going to your prayer closet in secret when nobody's looking. And 18 talks about fasting and praying in secret. And it says, as you do these things, the Father in heaven is going to reward you that he's seen you do these things in secret. Believers, may I exhort you, like put on humility, put on meekness, Cast arrogance and pride aside. You might fool us, as Eric says all the time. You know, we might look good up here, but man, if our hearts are corrupt, our actions might even look good, but that's completely irrelevant because in the end, guess what? The judge who sees all and knows all, he's going to understand that, and that's where he's coming from. So I always ask these questions, and I usually get burned on them because I'm always looking for a specific answer, but I'm going to do it anyways. Why did Jesus come to earth? If you boil everything down, why did he come to earth? Somebody. Okay. Why? Go back another step. Keep going. Okay, keep going. Yay! Oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that. Great answers over here. That's the one I was looking for. So, I'm going to do it again. We good? We good? So, he glorified God by the works that he did. And then I'll just give you the next one. Um, <laughs> his role was a teacher. So he instructed you and I how to do the same thing. That's what the Gospels are about. So, um, he instructed humanity on how to accomplish giving glory and honor to God. So, Again, a name that I came up with him that, man, it seems really awkward off my tongue, but I, I don't know what else to say, is a compassionate forewarner. A compassionate forewarner. 
Remember the context that we're looking at was back in Matthew 24, 3, where they said, hey, what's the second coming going to look like? Um, this is a reminder where Jesus gives us, again, some details of events and parables that bring to life spiritual principles that are easy, quote-unquote, to grasp, envision, and understand. Now, as I was talking to Betty about the sermon, and I've talked to Pastor Eric, and I've talked to some of you guys, and I use, I use a phrase, as I'm reading the Gospels, Jesus is harsh. And Betty said, man, you've got to be careful how you say that to a congregation. So I want you to understand a couple things. I, I'm hoping that we're going to flush this out. But hear me, okay? Direct, blunt, but there's a purpose and the re- there's a reason why he is. Can you imagine, oh, I'm sorry, um, Paul Revere. Paul Revere's riding through the countryside, galloping at a fast pace, yelling out, the British are coming, the British are coming. Now, what would you guys think if some guy came out of his house and jumped in front of the horse and said, hey, wait, 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 wait. Do you realize you just tread on private property? And you got me out of, you, you interrupted my devotional time. You need to, for the next house, walk the horse up, knock on the door, say, may I see the man of the house, please? As the man comes out, say, sir, I, I have some potentially devastating news. No. No. We, we'd call that guy a fool. So here's the thing. The seriousness of the situation warranted the means of delivery. The seriousness of the situation warranted the means of the delivery. Can you guys imagine the seriousness and tone in this parable as he declares separation? The utter division of joy and terror eternal life and eternal death, freedom or condemnation. There's no room for rebuttal here. It's black and white. And it's a judgment called by the judge of the universe. You know, there's some who might look at this and argue. What? No, there's no argument here. We, We are dumb sheep. When Joseph and I were in the Frankfurt airport, I walked into the, um, what do they call it, where you can buy cigarettes and, and stuff, duty-free. I'm walking, I'm walking down this aisle, and I look, and in front of me is a carton of cigarettes. Half of the carton is the name brand, and the other half, this big, white, te- or white background black text, smoking kills And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Are we that dumb that we we need you to be that blunt? We haven't heard it enough times. And yet, it doesn't stop people from smoking. And that's just one example. If you, you guys get my point there, okay? We're dumb sheep. We need to be reminded. So let's review some other additional instances of this compassionate forewarner. And I do want to say that in the scriptures we're going to look at, Uh, There is tone, and there is content. 
There can be harshness in the tone. There can be harshness in the content. There can be harshness in both. Look at the first scripture that we're looking at. Luke 9, 41. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? I vote that that's tone and content. I can't imagine him saying that other in a very direct, forceful way. And then, man, I'll tell you what, I really went flip-flop on this one. Who was my mother and my brother? Matthew 12, 48. You know, in, I'll tell you what, I mean, every time I've heard this one, I'm all like, man, that's like disrespectful to his mom. Now, Eric could tell you, maybe there's a special word that he uses there for mother that is glorifying and honoring. But as I was thinking about this the last couple of days, I thought, um, this is such of an excellent like, combination of both, where he's preaching or he's talking to his disciples, some people are outside, his mom and brothers, they come and they say, hey, can we interrupt the sermon? Your mom and brothers are outside. Jesus doesn't even address but he addresses the people and says, and, and again, like, kind of re-envision this thing in my mind, he says, man, who is my mother or my brothers? But he who does the will of my father. I mean, that just could possibly, again, I'm, I'm just using this as an example, but can you imagine the compassion from the God of the universe telling us that we can become his brothers or his sisters or like his mom? How? By being obedient, following the commands of God. So, you know, again, I, that, that one goes either way for me sometimes. And then Matthew 20, 22, where the brothers come up and say, hey, we want to sit on your right and left hand. Jesus says, man, do you guys ask what you're, or do you know what you're asking about? Can you drink this cup? There's some harshness there. And they say, yeah, we think we can. He says, well, I can't tell you whether you're going to be able to sit on my right and ha- left hand, but I can promise you, you are going to drink of this cup. Man, that's a forewarner. How about Matthew 16, 23? I think this is tone and content. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, man, oh man, is that harsh? Is that harsh? But we're going to get to the reason why. I've been meaning to ask you after each one. Why does he do this? Why is he harsh? Why is it blunt? Why is it so direct? No, or smoking kills. Matthew 5.30 talks about if your eye is so offensive that it causes you to sin, Jesus says, man, pluck it out. Of course, he doesn't mean that literally, but I think it's called hyperbole, where he is using such strong language. I mean, envision that. Envision that your eye causes you to sin because you're constantly looking at a Mercedes-Benz or something on the internet, that you're going to go home, put a spoon, that thing out yourself. I mean, that's what he's saying. Or cutting off a hand because you steal, or your hand causes offense. Why is he so brutal? Why is he so harsh? What's the point of the directness? Smoking kills. Sin kills. Sin leads to eternal death. Are you getting a picture here? We're going to talk about the Pharisees. 
and if you guys will give me some room on this, because there's some sovereignty components here, there's some election components here, I'm going to just use this to make a point, okay? We can talk theology later. When you hear Jesus saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you brood of vipers, again, tone and content guaranteed. Based on Christ's character and his desire, as it says in 2 Peter 3.9, for all to be saved, you look at that scripture and he says, man, why, why is God taking so long to come? Because he desires that all come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' desire for the sheep to have a righteous shepherd as he mourns over Israel. He mourns over the scribes and Pharisees who take the word of God and pervert it so much, A, they can't even keep it, and then they try to put that on you and me to keep. So, Jesus' harshness, and here's, here's, here's the whole thing, is intended to bring repentance. Pharisees could have repented. Rich young ruler, he could have said, yeah, I'll do those things, but he turned around and walked away. Romans 2.4 says, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance, which leads to a heart driven towards obedience, which leads to eternal life. I mean, again, picture this. Smoking kills. That's harsh. Sin kills. Sin replicates itself in disobedience. And it festers and festers and festers. Jesus' harshness, I would say here, is actually love. It's love for your and my soul, even though it's harsh. And especially in my mind, when you think of where we're at, in America culturally, and man, everything is right down the middle. We, we can't talk about this, or we can't talk about that. We're always trying to find this middle, um, lukewarm conversation. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for Eric and Leon that continue to instruct us and lead us and guide us in these conversations that we have about black and white issues. Man, that, it's brutal to me. It's brutal. This conference was brutal for me to hear some of the stuff. Alvin and I are flying home on an airplane last night. I'm reading in John Perkins' book something. I'm all like, you got to be kidding me. Praise the Lord that the gospel encourages us to have those conversations because Jesus is very blunt and direct to you and I for one purpose, to burn sin out of our lives to allow our hearts to continue to be conformed to the image of Christ, that our motivations, that the very, uh, when we salivate, we're salivating after the word of God. We're salivating after works of righteousness. We're salivating after obedience to his word. So I got a couple applications. I'd like to throw a third one in if I got time. I'm trying to figure out my timer. 28 minutes. As you read the scriptures, especially the hard sayings of Christ, remember that they're given out of a heart of compassion, which is for our own protection. I mean, I hope that's what you guys have been hearing me say all along. 
when we read some of these things, and they, man, they, they cut us to the quick. Again, I got to tell you, at this conference, man, there were things that cut my heart to the quick. There needs to be change in my life based on those things. So receive those things. Welcome those things. Proverbs says, man, take all the criticism you can get. It really does. Because it's, it, it's for the purging of our souls. I mean, don't we all want to be the one that Jesus like double high fives up in heaven? Seriously, isn't that what we want? Right now is going to prove it, whether he's going to do that or not. Receive criticism well from the scriptures. And the second application is very, very similar. As we live in this MacAv community, the same is true when pushback is given. Our hope is that the giver of pushback in doing so solely is doing so solely out of love and care for the receiver of their correction. But if the pushback giver's delivery is poor or harsh or awkward, can you chalk it up as an opportunity for your own humility and discernment? Now, some of you guys who don't participate yet in discipleship or MAC groups, wondering maybe what I'm talking about. In discipleship, in MAC groups, and in church as well, in conversations, part of our mantra is we want to exhort and encourage one another. And that's not just with happy songs all the time. That's with, hey, bro, seems to me that you've got an area of neglect in your life. Can we talk about that? A lot of people in places just don't do that. And we do it here. But guess what? Man, look how young this congregation is. Man, we're going to trip and stumble, say it wrong, be awkward, say stupid things. And, I mean, it just, we're going to do that. So, so, so give some... So I, I just want to encourage you because I know... I know that I know that I know that it gets tiring to have somebody call you out on your sin. It gets tiring to have somebody, what appears to be kind of nitpicking at your life, when you want to say, hey, dude, look at yours. Take the splinter out of your own eye, okay? Let's do that first. But I want to exhort you, just like the scriptures are there for our protection, and those words of directness, bluntness, harshness are there to weed sin out of our lives, that is the goal of leadership at MacAv. So man, honestly, like look me in the eyes and pay attention, please. When they say it wrong, when your discipler just says something stupid, or your Mac group leader embarrasses you in Mac group, man, please give them some grace. And and one other thing I want to encourage in, as maturing believers, Part of this whole thing is you got to learn to discern. You know, you can say to that brother or sister, man, thank you. Let, let, let me chew on that. Walking away knowing like they didn't get it right. That's okay. That's okay. The whole point of understanding the scriptures well enough for yourself and not having Eric spoon feed us every week. That's why we want you guys in the scriptures. That's why we want you guys in Mac group, both discipleship, uh, Mac group and individual is so that you are growing in yourself through Christ by the Holy Spirit, able to discern well when stuff applies to you. I mean, look at the congregation. You know, when when we see these things that Jesus calls the sheep and goats out, um, there's the four things: 
Some of us in here don't do any of those, and that's okay. This is not a list of, you check them off, I got those four done. There's other things that people in here do. You, you know, taking care of little kids for somebody's, for, for a neighbor, for somebody who's in trouble. There are so many things that we can do, the point of which is, if we're living out our salvation, it's going to produce good works. Those good works are going to have a variety of flavors. Textures, and especially depending on your personality, the things that God has gifted you in. So understand that. And then, this is, this is not under there, but I, I do want to do it as, as an application. It's terrifying to me to call somebody out on something. And yet, I, I need to do that. So please, Take heart, take humility, and take boldness that even as the scriptures, even as Jesus, even as Peter, after he gets the Holy Spirit, man, he scorches them. Don't be afraid to speak the word of God. Now, Eric said something a long time ago that, man, I, I, I just, I love. He said, the gospel is offensive enough, don't add offense to it. So if you've got to speak a harsh word to somebody, do so with the desire that you want to see them repent. You've got to do it in meekness and humility of yourself because you should know yourself well enough to know he could probably turn around and say the same thing back to you in a different area of your life. So the point of this is not like a hierarchical thing. Man, we've been forgiven a ginormous, ridiculous, incredible, unrelenting debt. And we need to be able to do the same thing for our brothers and sisters. Let me, let me just, if, if I can just wrap it up in a couple things. Um, Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Your friends at MacAv, your friends in the Christian community, frankly, even if they're not friends and you don't know them and they speak into your life, man, be able to receive it as a gift from the Lord. I'd really encourage you in that. This really would be incomplete if I didn't continue to press this just for a second. We're talking about eternal damnation and eternal salvation here. Might I exhort you, may I encourage you, if you're here and you don't know what the heck we're talking about, you don't understand the parable, you're wondering if you're a sheep or a goat, you think you're a Christian, but a variety of reasons. You're not plugged in, you're not reading the scriptures, you're not living... Uh, Maybe the way you you'd envision what it says in the scripture, man. Please don't leave here without talking to somebody. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. I think it's been very very clear here that there's coming a point in time we don't know what that point is, where the gavel's going to come down and there's going to be a separation of those who are going to enjoy eternal salvation, eternal life with Christ, and there's going to be those that are going to perish into eternal destruction. And that, man, that, that's a harsh word. Make sure of your salvation today. So we're going we're gonna to take uh, tithe and offerings and uh, participate in communion.